That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Great America Show. The UN has passed a resolution condemning Vladimir Putin and Russia, even as the Russians have raised the level of the firepower they're directing against Kiev and other major cities in Ukraine. One of those cities in southern Ukraine, the strategic port city of Kherson, initially claimed by Russian media to have been taken by the invaders. But that claim has now been disputed by the city's mayor. Another port city, Maripol, has been under attack since the Russian invasion began. Heavy casualties are being reported, and the fight goes on. Russian warships appear to have been directed to attack another port city, Odessa, just east of Moldova. All of Ukraine is a battleground, and civilian casualties are now rising dramatically as Putin unleashes more of his forces on the badly outnumbered Ukrainians. President Biden, in his State of the Union speech, addressed the Russian invasion and announced further sanctions would be leveled against both Putin and Russia. And Biden ordered a ban against Russian aircraft in U.S. airspace. Today, we'll hear from two great Americans, and you'll find them, I believe, very interesting guests. They are doctor and worldwide media star, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who is running for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, and first-term congressman from the state of Florida, a member of the Freedom Caucus who attended the State of the Union, Congressman Byron Donalds. We begin today with Congressman Donalds. Congressman, it is great to have you with us. Congressman Byron Donalds, how does that sound uh, after your first term? You still got a little ways to go for, to complete that first term, but how does it feel right now? You know, honestly, it's still surreal. Um, sometimes I'm walking in the chamber, or I'm walking in a committee room, or, you know, or even uh, last night at the State of the Union, actually being on the floor um, while the State of the Union is happening. It's still kind of an out-of-body experience. Uh, it sounds good, but I'm just, just trying to do my job on behalf of the people who sent me, and I try not to get you know too overwhelmed by it. Right. Well, I, I'm, I'm confident that you won't uh, ever be. Uh, and I have to, but I just was thinking about being there for the, you know, the first, you know, the first uh, term has got to be both uh, impressive and, uh, and absolutely inspiring. Uh, and, and to, at the same time, be trying to keep the swamp at arm's length as best you possibly can. Uh, have you been able to, are you, let me ask you another way. Do you see a side of the swamp? Does the swamp try to, uh, influence you? Um, I'm, I'm, I don't think so. To be honest, I haven't really paid much attention to, to the swamp itself. I mean, you kind of know it's here. Like everybody's trying to get influence with you. And I think that's kind of what happens. I, I think what the real issue up here 
is that if as an elected official, if you don't come to Washington with your political philosophy basically locked in and you understand who you are and, and, and what you're about, then this place will influence you into making decisions that you probably wouldn't have made as a regular citizen. And I think that's more what it, what it's about. I think anybody who runs for a political office, you have to know who you are from a political perspective. You got to know uh, what what are, what are the policies that you support. You got to know the ones you oppose. I think you really have had to take the time to really understand public policy and understand what you're supportive of. And then you come here, then it's easy to talk to lobbyists and other members and staff and, and, and agencies, and they can tell you whatever they want, but you already have your ideals kind of locked in. Not saying that you won't listen to new information, but you have a baseline of where you're, where you're trying to go. And so for me, like my political ideals and principles have largely been set for a decade. So coming here, I don't really feel pressure to join the swamp or anything like that. Like I know who I am, so I'm not dissuaded by all the stuff that happens up here. I I think that's a a wonderful insight and and thank you for sharing it, uh, Congressman. I, I happen to, I, I get this distinct impression, you're a man who knows who he is, and it's been my experience, life experience, that people who know who they are, are the most reliable, uh, they are people you can count on, uh, and they are not trying to be something they're not, because what what and who they are uh, is uh, who they mean to be, if I, if I can put it that way. Uh, and I'm delighted yep. for you. And I, and I think the times uh, that this nation is in, uh, we need more, uh, more folks just like you uh, representing the people. I'd, I'd like to turn to last night, as you were talking about being on the floor there, uh, the, the president's speech, uh, your reaction to it uh, in, in every sense that uh, what made the, the greatest impression to you? It was bizarre. It, just, it was devoid of all reality. I think if you're looking at where the country is without partisanship and then you listen to what the president said, you have no idea what he was talking about. You know, I think he tried to, in the speech, obviously they started with Ukraine. I think they try to give him a platform to stand on because coming into the chamber, this, this president has had the worst first year of any president in American history. And yeah. he's on the fast track to he's quickly on the fast track to being the worst president the country's ever had. I mean, I, I, I think most of the country is already there. And so the president came in and basically tried to ignore all of the problems he's created. And he threw out populist slogans to try to make it seem that he was moderating. But then when he got into specifics, the specifics were left wing policy again. Yeah. So I don't really know what he was trying to accomplish except except trying to save his poll numbers because you have a Democrat president who's polling at 35, 37%. And considering the fact that big media has largely covered for him and not exposed his disastrous policies to the American people, if they did that, he'd be polling at 12 to 15%. That's how bad he is at his job. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you and I saw the same event. We saw the same fellow, and we we obviously saw the same performance. I if, if I think at any point anyone had closed their eyes, they would have thought that this man 
was a Trump Republican, not just a Republican, but a Trump Republican, because when he started talking about the economy, when he started talking uh, uh, about manufacturing, coming back to this country, hiring American, buying American, making American, I, I swear he sounded like he was channeling Donald Trump or perhaps worse, uh, plagiarizing Donald Trump. His, <laughs> I, his ideas weren't original. That's one problem. But then to just simply take Donald Trump's agenda, which turned this country around in the course of four years, despite opposition from every quarter, he didn't even give Donald Trump one ounce of credit for the words that he was uttering, the program that he was copying. I mean, he never will, because right now the Democrats' entire agenda is bash Trump. And if you just blame him enough, the American people will just forget their idiocy. The problem is, is that the American people aren't dumb. Donald Trump's not president of the United States. Everybody knows this. Donald Trump's not even tweeting because the social media companies blocked him. And so he's not in the center of the political discussion right now. Joe Biden is. And what has been crystal clear through 15 months is that Joe Biden is the wrong man at the wrong time leading the country. Yeah. And everybody basically agrees with that. It was awful. Uh, and then to suggest he's going to beat the, uh, the, the opiate uh, epidemic in this country by handing out crack pipes. Uh, he has no <laughs> sense of his own absurdity and irony, does he? He really doesn't. I mean, look, if you really want to really tackle the opioid epidemic, I mean, that's bringing back political talking points from six to eight years ago. Right. But the reality is we have a fentanyl epidemic in the United States exactly. and um, illegal fentanyl or illicit fentanyl is being manufactured in Mexico by the drug cartels. And they are trafficking it into the United States at record paces because the border is wide open. And so he threw out there secure the border. But then he talks about expanding the Dream Act and making yeah. bringing more dreamers to the United States. So I'm looking at my colleagues like. Well, you just allowed 2 million people to come into the country illegally, illegally last year, most of them children. So are, are this going to be the new crop of dreamers now that he's going to stick into this new Dream Act? It's that kind of stuff that came from him last night, where a lot of the times he would say something and the Republican members are looking at each other like, wait, what did he just say? Like, is this guy serious? Like this guy, he makes no sense at all. And the worst one to me, Lou talking about oil oil and energy policy where he was going to release 60 million barrels from strategic reserves that's a drop in the bucket and everybody knows it it's completely unserious because he wants to look like he's doing something again to save his poll numbers but he can't go away from the radical policies of the left and i don't want to say go away these are his policies now they're not even bernie sanders anymore now they're his he can't walk, walk away from his own crazy Bernie liberal policies. It's, it's really true. And, and when you talk about the drop in a bucket, 60 million barrels, half of it coming from America, why should half of it come from America? But let's go ahead and throw in 30 million barrels. That's a couple of days worth of oil for this country and not going to have much of an impact at all. Let's, let's turn to some of the other uh, aspects of that speech and, and the most difficult, really, 
And that was when he referenced Ukraine and his view of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, his hatred, his uh, rhetoric about Vladimir Putin was palpable, but he stood there as if he was the strong man who was making the decisions about the, the fate of the free world. Uh, but in point of fact, his administration has been, in point of fact, silent and absent uh, at, at the times when leadership was needed most in this uh, crisis. Uh, your, your reaction uh, to his, uh, both his tone, his demeanor, and what he has actually done uh, in the crisis. Well, look, his tone and his demeanor was a tough guy. But the truth of the matter is he's been weak. He's been weak on the world stage of his entire presidency. Uh, listen, it's not a shock in, in my view what's happened. Vladimir Putin has been stationing troops on the Ukrainian border for six months. Joe Biden didn't do anything. He was too busy worrying about Build Back Better than to worry about the threat of Russia when it comes not just to Ukraine, but its, its position in world energy, oil, and natural gas markets. But he's done nothing right. except help Vladimir Putin to have the, have the resources to bring war to Ukraine. And that's been through the Green New Deal, which he signed back up for, which Donald Trump was right to get us out of. He put us back in it. He did it with canceling oil leases on federal lands. He did it with canceling the Keystone Pipeline, costing thousands of jobs in the oil patch. He did it with greenlighting Nord Stream 2, which demonstrated to Vladimir Putin he was going to have a free hand when it comes to energy control over Europe. He did it with a disastrous debacle in Afghanistan where we lost 13 men and women uh, of our military in that withdrawal. And so you have a situation where a guy who's been weak on the world stage who literally four days ago was tepid in his remarks about what sanctions actually meant. <clears throat> he sent Kamala Harris out there. She goes out saying these sanctions are supposed to help stop or they're designed to stop Russian aggression. And he came out the next day and said, oh, no, no, these sanctions are going to take time. Nobody yeah. thinks it's going to stop Russia. So you have a guy who literally, again, failed on the world stage, failed to lead. Now he wanted to talk tough. And I think yeah. it's important for people to understand. He wanted to talk tough because it was the people of Ukraine and their resilience. It was the leadership of President Zelensky. It was the fact that you have Russian people in Moscow protesting the Russian invasion, and they're getting arrested by Russian police and beaten by Russian police. It's the fact that you now have Hollywood and, and liberal icons all coming out against Russian actions in Ukraine. And because everybody else has taken a leadership role, the president of the United States is now last to the party. And the only way he can get ahead of the parade is to talk tough in the State of the Union. But nobody takes it seriously. I mean, I appreciate he's finally gotten to the party, but the man is not a leader. He's a follower. He's a politician. He's no leader. And he is Barack Obama's partner. Uh, Barack Obama. Oh, he's, he's Obama 2.0. Yeah. This is Obama 2.0. Obama did the same thing with respect exactly. to the Russians in his presidency. Same thing happened. The Ukrainians wanted weapons. Obama gave them blankets. The Russians see this. They take Crimea. This ain't hard stuff. No, you're exactly right. And, and this president was just, again, dishonest throughout 
because he didn't acknowledge uh, any of the, the critical judgments that were being applied as he spoke. Uh, the American people are not the fools that he must think we are uh, to, to not understand that the American people know what Russia is. We know what Ukraine is. We know what the European Union is. We actually know where Ukraine is uh, because we've, many people in this country have got uh, Ukrainians for neighbors, uh, for one thing. Uh, but the other is, it's, it's not our first time around, as you say. 2014, Crimea is annexed by uh, Vladimir Putin. Now, 2022, we're watching the same thing play out. I have mixed feelings yeah. because on the one hand, I would like America to lead here, as we have since World War II. Our, but I don't know that this man is capable of leading anything, let alone the free world. Your thoughts? I mean, honestly, my, my thoughts are that I'm I'm just not sure that, that Joe Biden has it in him to lead the world or lead America, for that matter. I think that what we're seeing in NATO with the NATO nations is that they realize that if they don't pick it up. Nobody's going to be coming to bail them out. Not in this administration. Mm -hmm. It's just not clear. And so I think what's what's really going to happen now is, I mean, Germany already made an announcement. They're going to go back and explore for oil so they can become more energy independent as opposed to depending on Russia, uh, things of that nature. I think all that's a good thing. Um, but look, the reality is I just I go back to it, Lou. I, I shake my head. I'm trying to find another way to describe this. There just isn't. Joe Biden is the worst president we've ever had. Yeah. And at a time where Russia is on the move, China is on the move. The Iranians are moving at warp speed to get a nuclear bomb. The, the North Koreans are firing hypersonic missiles. The North Koreans are firing hi hypersonic missiles. Um, our, we're just going to have to do the best we can in the United States to tread water until we get a new president and a new commander in chief. And, and I'm not sure, Congressman, we, can, we have time to tread water. I agree with you. I just don't know how much time we've got. When I hear people say, well, things will be better in the November elections, I think we've got to get to November for things to get better. Uh, we, uh, people Agreed. saying that, that we've got to get to 2024 so Trump can take over. I, I'm all for that. I just wonder, can we get to 2024? Your thoughts? Um, I think we can. And I, I think the reason why we can get there is because the American people are just so either A, mad, B, bewildered, C, frustrated with what's happened in the White House that Joe Biden has no leg to stand on. And I think that's indicative of what happened last night in the speech. If he couldn't point to one thing that he did that you can celebrate, not one. Right. And so because of that, the Democrats are really backed into a corner. We think we're going to get pretty large majorities in the House. I think we'll probably win three Senate seats. Um, in November. It could be four, depending on what happens in some of these states. But the reality is, is that the American president, unfortunately, has no political credibility and no credibility whatsoever to actually lead. And that actually puts him into a box where I believe he might be forced to at least make some of the basic decisions necessary for America to tread water. But a lot of this stuff, you know, we talk so much about the consent of the governed and it actually does hold very true in the United States. You have a president who literally has almost no support except for the, the locked in Democrats in his party. But right. other than that, nobody's supporting him. And even a president of the United States feels that pressure. And I think it's a good thing that they do feel that pressure in our country.
I do too. And I, and I, and I think that he's beginning to understand he can't act as if he won uh, some sort of mandate uh, and, and his references to wanting to pass the, uh, you know, the, the easier vote law. You know, I, I, I laughed last night because here, here's a man who ostensibly uh, at least won 80, 81 million votes, and he wants people to be able to vote more. Uh, it's really, if 81 million doesn't represent the, his uh, support, then I don't know what the world's going on because I can't see how he got even, uh, you know, three fourths of that. Uh, it's just ridiculous to me. But I, again, ironic. Your sense of electoral integrity uh, as we head toward November in these midterms, you said three senators. Uh, we've got, uh, at this point, 435 seats up for election. Uh, the Republicans have an, have an advantage historically. Typically, the party out of power uh, wins 26 seats in the, these midterms uh, and, uh, and four to five seats in the Senate. Uh, your judgment about what the likely outcome will be? Um I mean, honestly, I think we probably win 25 to 30 seats in the House. Uh, I think people would say, well, why wouldn't you win more? And that's because we're only down five, maybe six seats in the House now. Right. Typically, when you have a big swing, like there's a deficit uh, between the, the majority and minority parties of about 20 to 30 seats. But we're really, really close. So that's why I think my number is 25 to 30. Um, I think in the Senate, I think Mark Kelly loses in Arizona. I think Warnock loses in Georgia. Um, I think those are the two definite. The third, I'm just throwing out a third senator just because of how bad things are for Joe Biden and the Democrats. Something's going to happen. I just got to I just see that as the inertia. But he, let me boil it down to you this way. My cousin texted me last night after the State of the Union. Now, my cousin is a Democrat. We never talk politics. He's been a Democrat as long as I've known him. He texted me last night. Let's go. Let's go, Brandon. Trump 2024. When my cousin who's a Democrat texts me something like that, it's going to be a bad November for Democrats. People have made up their minds already on this president and on the Democrat Party, something that typically doesn't happen, but people have made up their mind. Yeah, it's it's that's a wonderful story. And uh, and I have to say that my cousins, uh, I, I don't want to know their politics for fear that they, they, they might be a Democrat. They for sure know mine. Uh, I've, I've got to ask you one question as we wrap up here, Congressman. Will we get a speaker from the Freedom Caucus this time? Uh, that's not going to happen. I, I just To be blunt with you, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think, look, the one thing I will tell you is, is that, you know, obviously, you know, Kevin McCarthy, he's the leader in the clubhouse as, as, you know, so to speak right now, you know, I think Kevin's going to get the nod, but this is a very different Republican conference than from the tea party wave a decade ago. Like when the tea party wave came in, you know, the guys who were, you know, committed constitutionalists, there might've been 40, 50 of them, maybe, but you came into a conference of 220 Republicans. Mm-hmm. So at that time, there was never a band of quote unquote conservatives who were going to be tied to the Constitution no matter what. Um, and they were in a conference where, you know, most of the GOP was still inside the beltway, you know, get, go along to get along, cut deals, kind of kind of conference. Country club I'm telling uh, you now, Republicans. Oh, yeah. 
I'm telling you now, half the Republican conference are conservatives. Half of them. And it's a very different environment than when um, when Speaker Boehner or Speaker Ryan were in charge. I think that um, Leader McCarthy, I think he understands, you know, what the conference looks like. And and looking at some of the people who are winning primaries, obviously Texas had their primaries last night. Mm -hmm. Looking at some of the candidates who are winning primaries, they are looking much more like America first conservatives than they are just country club Republicans looking to come to DC and have steak dinners. Hallelujah. It's a different breed, different breed is coming to DC. That is, uh, you know, that's, that's music to my ears. Uh, I, I, and I have a, a very good uh, feeling about the prospects. Uh, I hope uh, that your, your outlook, your forecast is the one uh, that's delivered in, in November. I think the American people do now, too, because there's without question, uh, as you alluded to in talking about the president's approval ratings down now to 37 percent, 38 percent. These are historic lows uh, and and reflect a country that knows we're in serious trouble in our leadership uh, in and our direction. So uh, this uh, Democratic Party is is dangerous. It is. Uh, I, I am. I'm not quite happy. I'm not quite there yet in terms of uh, feeling that the electoral, uh, our electoral system is secure. Uh, I I want mm. no more cheating, and I want no more Republicans being uh, fools uh, when it comes to that uh, election night. It's election day, and we count them at night. And I want the Republicans to be in every poll booth. I want them in every polling station. Uh, and I want them to know what's going on. And that means we're going to need a new Republican National Committee uh, dedicated to making that happen, in my opinion. Uh, we always give our guests the last word on, on the Great America Show. Uh, Congressman, uh, have at it. I, honestly, Lou, we talked about so much. I'm just happy to be on. Um, big fan, been watching you for years. And, uh, you know, just glad to be on your show. And I'll come back anytime. I've enjoyed our talk, and I will assure you we will impose uh, on you regularly uh, to come back uh, and uh, keep us uh, keep us alert to what is happening on Capitol Hill and, of course, the surrounding swamp. Uh, I have to say, I've truly enjoyed our talk, and I wish you all the very best. Congressman Byron Donalds, thanks so much. And our next guest now is Dr. Oz, host of the Emmy Award-winning worldwide The Dr. Oz Show heart surgeon. He's performed thousands of heart operations. He's married, father of four, and a conservative Republican. And now he's a candidate for the U.S. Senate from Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Great America Show, Dr. Oz. Now, I know this is on the minds of everyone. What made you decide to go into politics and run for office? You know, I've always run towards problems. I think that's common for physicians. We certainly done topics together uh, where you witness that. The reality is I would wake up at the middle of the night and look at the ceiling and wonder what happened. Why are we in such a crisis as a country? It became particularly acute during COVID, where because I understood very specifically what was happening, I also appreciated the gargantuan limitations to our instinctual response, uh, in part because the idea of an authoritarian federal overreach had gotten acceptable to so many Americans. Now, Republicans, of course, bristled at this idea, but the, the, the mainstream media, certainly the Democratic Party, 
uh, the far left members of it in particular, embraced, endorsed the idea that we would remove individualism and the idea of customized care for an illness like COVID and instead expect the government to boss us around and dictate what needed to happen. Part of the reason I've asked for Dr. Fauci to resign or at least debate me is because I saw so many errors that came out of this arrogant belief that that was the best way to manage a crisis. Now, it's not just true for COVID. The same reality is readily apparent in our approach to energy policy in America, to our budget, to paying people not to work, to our approach to schools and values, all the things that get so many Americans worked up these days. Well, and worked up they should be because this is a a government that, frankly, is not working for the people, uh, let alone requiring our consent before handing down fiats, edicts, and uh, executive orders instead of moving through our representative bodies, the the House of Representatives and the Senate. Uh, You're exactly right. This authoritarianism uh, is, is, has been building and building within our, uh, certainly our federal government for, for decades now, but it has come to a point where there is no constraint. There is no uh, even so much as a hesitation on the part of the central federal government to say, this is the way it is and tell us whether it's a, a mask mandate, whether it is a, uh, a vaccine demand, irrespective of what the science is, or in the case of the CDC, withholding all, nearly all of the data about uh, the, the, uh, the vaccines uh, and how uh, they are working on, the, on our population, on our citizenry. Uh, are, can we change that really very quickly? It can be changed rapidly if we have the right leadership. We, we don't have that right now, as you saw from the State of the Union address. But if you just look at the CDC and, and how it's become politicized, and this is something that, you know, in the very beginning of COVID, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We knew that we weren't prepared, that we didn't have testing kits. We didn't really know uh, how fast the virus was spreading. The Chinese had lied to us about whether it was able to be passed uh, in an aerosolized fashion, which means it can be passed from breath to breath. But uh, all that aside, we put, pretty quickly began to figure it out. We're smart, right? And we began to, and I, my show is at 100 countries, Lou. So I would ask around to the other countries and say, what are you guys doing for COVID? And frequently I'd hear responses like, well, you know, hydroxychloroquine, that seems to work. We don't know for sure, but we're, we're testing it and you're marching the war with the tools you have, with the weapons you have. You don't get to choose all the time. So as I began to speaking about it, I saw President Trump brought it up and boom, all of a sudden, uh, the entire medical community, uh, folks in the mainstream media began to heavily lobby against a 70 year old medication that beforehand had been thought to be safe and very valuable. Then I began to realize, my goodness, when you mix medicine and politics, you get politics. They stuffed out the actual medicine and people like Dr. Fauci built on that. It's, It's the same approach to schools where I would look to European communities and say, well, they're keeping their schools open. Those parents love their kids. How come we're not keeping our schools open here? Two years later, we learned that there were huge uh, errors in the management of kids in particular, where we not only closed schools, which particularly hurt the underprivileged members of our community who had to therefore stay home and take care of their kids, uh, but also it hurt their learning. We put masks on kids really without any evidence that it made a meaningful difference. The data that was shared was so flawed, it was unusable. Uh, according to co- colleagues of mine and myself, you know, medical p- experts got isolated. We were marginalized, canceled, even for putting our hands up into the air and raising a concern. 
it, it was interesting to see the the speech last night by the by the president at the State of the Union. I, I at times, Dr. Oz thought, who is this man and what is he trying to do? What what were your reactions uh, to him and his speech last night? I mean, he sees the world in a vastly different way than the way the rest of us, at least the people that I have spending time with now that I'm campaigning uh, in the primary for the Republican Senate seat in Pennsylvania. I mean, people that I'm with see what's happened as a disaster over the past year. And these destructive policies, they've let, they led to record inflation and gas prices. You know, though I made a, a TikTok about gas prices and asked, doc, uh, you know, asked as just as a doctor would, very honestly, Joe Biden, why is it high? Uh, and what can we do to, to get, reduce these gas prices? It got 2 million views immediately. TikTok took it down. I, I don't know why, because I just was asking a challenging question, but it was just a basic question. I reposted it got seven and a half million more views by asking why doesn't TikTok want you to see this question? It, it, it speaks to the reality that you mentioned earlier, which is we have stifled discussion and it is a bit Orwellian that we can't push the buttons that might bother people. But if you listen to that, if I, I, what I expected President Biden to say was we got a problem with inflation. We're going to get our spending under control to address with that. And we have a brand new program that I want to announce for energy that we're going to make sure that from now on, we're not going to allow, uh, you know, ideologues to block the ability of America to pull out energy from under the grounds that we stand on. Like here in Pennsylvania, we have enough natural gas to power the whole country and supply our allies in Europe. We're not going to make the mistakes that the that was were made that allowed Putin to take or invade the Ukraine. He said none of that. And that's what I that's like the simple low lying fruit that I would anticipate he would have addressed. The language of his speech, I thought was sophomoric, uh, pedestrian. Uh, mediocrity would be high praise uh, when I think of what his speech writers uh, produce there. Uh, I just, I cannot believe that the Democrats do not understand what they've done to this country and, and the world. Uh, I was talking uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Ronnie Jackson, uh, former uh, uh, physician to three presidents, uh, George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. He is deeply concerned about the mental health of the man, his cognitive ability, and has urged that he take a test. Now, if you, you recall, uh, back in, I believe it was 2018, uh, the Democrats started the, uh, a drumbeat to have the, uh, President Trump take a cognitive test. He did so immediately. And according to Dr. Jackson, they scored uh, you know, brilliantly on it. Uh, or I think, as President Trump would say, wonderfully on it. But... Why is there just quiet, deaf, deafening silence, uh, if you will? I don't know. Uh, there's been arguments that maybe uh, all members of our leadership should take cognitive tests just routinely <laughs> as a screen, just, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm not a physician, I'll sign on so for that. I can't do any more. So if the if the president isn't to take a cognitive test, did you discern any any eloquence whatsoever in what he said, any rational, uh, original thinking? Or did you see, as I saw, more plagiarism and that plagiarizing Donald Trump, uh, whether it's just and a dozen issues 
uh, whether it be energy, whether you know, he just international uh, relations, even he's aping uh, President Trump's agenda and without credit. Well, my biggest concerns were that we weren't echoing what some of the Europeans now are finally saying. They're waking up. The German chancellor, for example, acknowledged basically that their policy of unilaterally disarming by not allowing energy to be produced in their country, they've closed their nuclear plants, they not really uh, wisely managed their relationship with Russia. Uh, you know, Russians have threatened to hold Europe hostage, right? They've threatened to shut down pipelines going through the Ukraine. The solution was to build a pipeline around the Ukraine. Well, that doesn't solve the problem because, you know, the Russians can shut that down too. The fact that you're completely dependent on another country for energy is a unwise place to be if you're the leader of a free and sovereign country. Now, our nation, thankfully, has plenty of energy, but we are, and I've been talking to energy producers here in Pennsylvania, Lou, they all have the same complaint. There are these ideological uh, individual uh, arguments against energy, period. So folks, lawyers, activists, non-elected bureaucrats will make rules almost purposely designed to stifle the process of free enterprise allowing energy to, to be produced. Well, what that does is it weakens in the ability of Americans to be uh, uh, to, uh, autonomous, to be able to control our destiny. All of a sudden, we fall prey. We cannot ship natural gas from Pennsylvania to any of New England and to New Jersey because of individual rules that were created that are not part of a broad national agenda of keeping us strong. And for that reason, where does New England get its energy from? Well, they invent their they import their natural gas from Colombia. Is that better for the planet? No, because you got to ship the gas up, right? Liquefied and ship it. Uh, and we're actually importing oil from Russia, which funds Putin. Now, even the people serving me food in the diners in Pennsylvania know this so well, they'll sit down and lecture me on it. It's widely appreciated, and yet we continue to stifle industry, which is why I'm optimistic, Lou, because what I learned when I campaigned is that most people here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but I'm sure it's echoed in other parts of the country, are so confident that they could fix their lives and make their lives better if the government just got out of their way. Imagine that. We have a country which believes the federal government is an impediment to their well-being. The government doesn't even use the basic logic of what it's supposed to do. We have a deal, right? We as citizens follow the law, pay our taxes. The government protects us, enforces the border. They don't do that with false Narratives, they pretend it's not important. In reality, we have got a cartel-run human trafficking operation that's running drugs. Many of those drugs have resulted in 100,000 Americans dying this year from opiate addiction. By the way, there have been 25,000 deaths from COVID under the age of 50. So deaths of despair, as has been feared, are already greater than the deaths from COVID in this age group. And uh, those, uh, those deaths, uh, many of them are from fentanyl, 100,000 all approaching 100,000 deaths in this country uh, last year. And we know that the source of that is China. We also know the source of the Wuhan virus. It is China. Uh, there are arguments that are being made, but there are disinformation campaigns about, uh, now it's interesting, and I want to get your opinion on this uh, separately, uh, the source of the, uh, of the virus now we're trying to get back to the market uh, as the source of this uh, disease. Uh, and it's being laid out in very careful, orderly programs of disinformation. And the American public is watching this and, and doctors are releasing their so-called studies before there's peer review. What do you make of it all? What are your thoughts about 
America 2022 not having certain knowledge as to the origin of the virus? It's shameful that we do not know where the virus came from. It's a deliberate effort uh, by the Communist Party leadership in China to inhibit the world from knowing what really happened. There are going to be narratives about it coming from a lab or from a market, but we, we shouldn't be guessing. We could have known this if we could have gotten access to, to individuals, to records, to just about anything early on. In fact, we didn't even get straight advice about how the virus was spread from person to person. They, they knew in Wuhan they had a problem weeks before the rest of the world finally figured it out. And it is uh, horrible that in the modern era, a nation like, the, like China would compromise the entire planet by hiding this information. So we can't believe what we hear anymore. We're probably never going to know, Lou, exactly what really happened, which hurts us as, a, as scientists and our ability to treat the virus and prevent future ones. Mm -hmm. But I do know gain-of-function research was funded by uh, Fauci and others in the U.S. government, despite beliefs that it was not wise to do. And that might have been involved, uh, who knows, in the creation of a virus which has caused this horrible pandemic. You know, I, I, I agree with you all the way across. I, I do think that I know what the source of that virus was based on my own personal individual uh, extrapolation. Uh, I, you, know, you know, I don't know if you recall this on my show uh, two years ago. I'm the one who declared <laughs> the pandemic uh, two weeks before the World Health Organization. Uh, and the CDC refused to call it a pandemic when it was obviously so. This is not a complicated definition. Multiple countries, one, one virus spreading. Uh, it was a pandemic uh, to, to anyone. But I was so furious with the WHO that I, I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And guess what? It was they had it doubled in terms of a pandemic within uh, the two weeks that it took then for the WHO to say so. What are we to do with this, this seeming lapdog attitude on the part of the U.S. Uh, federal government to international organizations, particularly public health uh, institutions? Well, I think there's a lot of naivete on the part of our public health leadership. Uh, they're not as strong as they should be. Uh, much of that is because we have ignored the importance of these groups, but this is a bigger symptom, I think, Lou, of, uh, of the weak infrastructure that we've tolerated in America. And if you think about it, what we've done more than anything else is remove the middle layers of connection between local communities and the federal government. Everything that could be done to weaken schools, churches, uh, you know, YMCAs, you know, anything that would, the Boy Scout groups, right, that would allow people to be in, in community with each other without having to rely on what the federal government told them was gone. So all the, the governors, the, uh, you know, the, the systems that would have slowed down reactions or responses or strengthened our and steeled our responses are, gone, are weakened. And so now we've got basically our federal government talking to the equivalent of a federal government with the WHO, which is clearly influenced in, in an unfavorable way by China and others. And you have information passing and pinging at that level but what is the average citizen to do? We don't have wise individuals in our local community to say, hold on, guys, we're not going to shut everything down. We're not going to put masks on kids, on two-year-olds, right, where we know they won't wear it correctly. They don't have the right mask. It probably wouldn't work anyway. And if it did get sick, it probably wouldn't matter most of the time if they're healthy. 
because you know that that's the kind of advice that finally the red states started giving to their people and and it, it allowed people in red states to to succeed despite the pandemic because they realized it was going to be around for a while only now are the blue states beginning to change and this is really something that should be remembered going forward because you know when you when you are unwilling to follow the science even though you claim you are that's the hypocrisy they're not following the science they're following the political science right but when you're exactly. unwilling to actually declare what's what's your north star which is having the integrity to make brave decisions in the face of the knowledge that's coming to you we end up with what we got which is people knowing they were lied to they don't guess they know they were lied to and that undermines democracy because now people start saying well how do i know if it's really a law how do we know if it's a true advice that's based on science. I'm just going to make up my own ideas, which in the pandemic proved to be very harmful, but it could be expanded to many other fa- factors of how we make our decisions today. You know, nothing to me was more harmful than the official uh, guidance that uh, Americans received uh, during the pandemic. The mask, as you have pointed out, the idea that uh, these vaccines could be uh, produced uh, under uh, authorization rather than approval. Uh, by the FDA, uh, and that now we find out uh, in this latest round uh, that they are terribly ineffective uh, against the current uh, pervasive variant. Uh, we, we have a lot to, to reconsider and to rethink and to change about our government. But it isn't the country that needs to change, I think, Dr. Oz. I think it is certainly, as you suggest, it is change in our government and the way in which these two parties are governing. I think the most important thing the U.S. government can do is the, at the federal level is to pull back. Yeah. To try to rein in the avalanche of regulations, again, by unelected middle-level bureaucrats within the government that are not governed by science, often ideologically oriented. They hurt industry. They make life unpredictable. Listen, when the government's coming to visit you, it's never good news anymore. They, right? Ideally, the government would once in a while come to you with good news, the plan that makes sense. Point out one idea that the Department of Education has put out there that's actually helped our children in a meaningful way. You hear this, you think, well, maybe what I want to do is, you know, shrink that group, make it just, you know, exchange best practices or something and do, you send the money out through block grants to all the states so they can decide. But this was the founding father's original vision, vision the idea of subsidiarity, right? It's a Catholic concept. Push the ideas down the lowest capable person. That person will make the best decision. The local principal knows more about what to do with their kids than the Department of Education. That's the local gas producer in Western Pennsylvania knows more about what it takes to, to motivate him and investors and workers there to pull gas out and you know, provide national security and drive down gas prices. You know, that's not well, that's not a decision that should be trusted to someone who's making you know, 10,000 page uh, rule books that can't be followed except by the biggest of the big companies and usually only manipulated at that. Now, and it is the, the essence of this country and our federal system of government in which we do have a hierarchy of governments and we insist and demand through our constitution that we recognize the powers and, and uh, the the primacy of local government, of county government and state government, and build a, a, a strong and institutionalized respect for those, uh, that federalist system, uh, except for if you happen to be a left-wing Democrat who, who's really enjoying reading your latest uh, you know, edition of Marxist ideology. 
Uh, it, it's really what we're contending with. Uh, China was hardly mentioned. And when it was mentioned by the president in his State of the Union, I, I don't think many people understood what the, to put it in very straightforward language, what the hell he was trying to say. But we do know this, that, that China is our preeminent geopolitical enemy, that the Chinese have killed more Americans uh, than uh, through the Wuhan virus uh, than uh, any one of our wars uh, over the course of our, this country's uh, existence. And there has been no response whatsoever. We know that more people die of fentanyl, which is shipped in here through Mexico and killing more Americans every year that have died in Ukraine, uh, that have died in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, and what kind of madness is it that'll, that permits us to pretend that the boogeyman is Vladimir Putin and not Xi Jinping, uh, even as our entire system right now is predicated and dependent upon the Chinese economy and the Chinese system of government, which is communist. Well, I've had major problems with China, and if you're campaigning here in Pennsylvania, everyone else does too. They know that their jobs were outsourced uh, and taken to China. The Chinese lied and cheated their way to victory on numerous trade initiatives that we've lost the ability to, to provide basic uh, supply chain integrity because of what China's done. My, my, one of my, like my biggest opponents probably in this campaign built the largest hedge fund by a U.S. company ever in China, $1.3 billion, just finished raising the money for it before he announces uh, his candidacy. And I'm pushing him on it because I'm saying, well, that's building up their infrastructure. You invested in that country's success uh, as opposed to ours. And people in Pennsylvania are not going to tolerate that anymore. It is a devastating impact. If I was in a steel mill up in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and they were saying, they have all this high technology stuff, but they can't get nuts and bolts other than from China. Literally, no one else is making them. And so you've got the, the most fundamental elements of industry no longer made here. The raw materials for our pharmaceuticals. We couldn't get protective gear for our, and for our American frontline workers early in the pandemic because they're all made in China. And right. I have firsthand information that the Chinese told our government that unless you cooled it, I'm blaming us with regard to the origins of the virus. We're going to slow down those shipments which translated to, you know, an intimidation tactic that, uh, that m may have worked, just got everyone off their back for a while. So why? Because they controlled, you know, supplies that we have to have, just like Russia controls energy supplies that we have to have. It is no longer convenient for political leaders and business leaders and legacy media to just embrace the newest woke ideology because, you know, no harm done. There is harm done. You put us in a desperately weakened position by not allowing us to make the difficult decisions to ensure we are strategically able to defend ourselves. There can be no strength. Uh, and without strength, you will not have peace. Absolutely. And in that dependency, uh, one, one dependency that is so critical, just and it's a life and death dependency, and that is our outright dependency on China uh, and a handful of other countries, but primarily China uh, for pharma pharmaceutical products, drugs, and uh, pharmaceutical ingredients, totally dependent upon them. And there has been no change in that 
despite the uh, the arrival of the China Wuhan virus. Uh, Dr. Ross, one last quick question, if I may. I, I think you had to be impressed uh, that uh, President Biden uh, announced that he was putting together a moonshot to cure cancer and that cancer will no longer, he said, uh, be a, a, a cancer diagnosis will be a death sentence. Has I thought I was listening to more of his prattle about civil rights, uh, talking about the, a, a history that doesn't exist. Does did he miss the last 30, 40 years of medical advancements and brilliant surgeons, brilliant doctors, research scientists who have created more advances against cancer? I, I mean, it's stunning to me to see the man not give any respect whatsoever to the medical community, which has done incredible things to, to save lives and to make a cancer diagnosis, not, not necessarily a death sentence, as he put it. Well, we have made unbelievable advances. Uh, cancer diagnoses today are much, much more successfully managed than they were when I started my practice. One of the reasons I became a heart surgeon was because generally we were giving people good news. We were fixing the problem. And cancer, unfortunately, uh, when I was training, often did not result in a good outcome. It was sort of palliative, uh, but it's different now. And I got to say, the, the advances that we've made uh, with understanding the genetics of cancer have taken us a whole different level. Um, and I think, and I am optimistic that building on the remarkable success of the last three decades will continue to, to make a dent in cancer. It's not just one disease, as you know, many elements to it. Um, but that's one of the shining spots of what happens when we allow in industry to progress without huge limitations. But I can tell you, just in the treatments themselves, we made, make the process so challenging that many companies are unable to bring their products to market. Life-saving solutions. They have to right. go overseas, prove the devices or medications work there, and then come back once they figured it out. And that slowed us down during COVID, by the way. The treatments that now we are finally beginning to give patients for outpatient COVID treatment existed, the Moldapiravir, the Merck one, existed before COVID started. We had it before the virus hit our shores. It took this long for the government, which didn't help at all, to get right. the product approved. In fact, Merck went around the government to make this happen. We don't want the same thing happening in cancer, heart disease, autoimmune ailments, or anything else. Let's get the government on the side of accelerating these treatments, not creating barriers. Yeah, and it was clear, President Biden, as he does in all things, thinks government is a solution but in fact, it has stopped more solutions than we will ever know. Uh, and your counsel, I think, is exact. Uh, so you, you sound like a real conservative, Dr. Oz. Are you, would you describe yourself as a conservative Republican? Exactly as I describe myself in our ads, in my talks, and everything else I do. I, my father uh, was an immigrant to this country. He was recruited because as a doctor, we, we needed more. And uh, he saw the bright light that this country represented. The unbelievable opportunity my family was given has always uh, been a blessing for my family. But my dad told me when I was eight years of age that we were going to be Republicans. And I asked him why. And he said, because they have better ideas. And I think as Margaret Thatcher said, paraphrasing her, the realities of life are conservative. So I am a conservative. Well, you're also a great American and we appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we'll continue, the, I hope, the uh, conversation. Uh, through your campaign. Always good to talk with you, uh, whether we're talking uh, medicine, whether we're talking science, or America, my favorite subject, and I know yours. Thanks so much, Dr. Oz, for being with us. Yep. We appreciate it.
God, God bless. bless. Check out DrOz.com, by the way. It's got all the information on these big rallies you're doing around the state. DrOz.com. That's doctor, spelled out, DrOz.com. DrOz.com. Thanks for being with us, and best of luck. That's DrOz, doctor, spelled out, Oz.com. DrOz.com. And thanks for being with us, and best of luck. And thanks again to Congressman Byron Donalds for being with us today. Thank you all for joining us here. God bless you, and God bless America. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.